Good morning. How many of you recognize the song? Where's it from? Who is that? Yeah, okay, just wonder, just kind of wonder. All right. Hey, very busy day. We had a baby dedication. Uh, had needed to definitely take some time to uh, remember the 9-11 victims and uh, and that. Please keep them in prayer. We'll also, uh, just be praying for everyone. You know, the new terror threats this week, but uh, believing God just protect us. And also, small group kickoff. Let me say let me say this about small groups, okay? Because uh, when I get to the closing point of this message, here's something you need to think about is, you know, he's, one of the things he's talking about is he's talking about small groups back there. Is, uh, and listen, there is a small group for, there, there is something, every single one of you can find something. I think we've got 10 small groups for the fall. There's something for, no matter what your age is, no matter your marital status, we got marriage groups, we got, man, we got sports, we got a sports group back there, and uh, we got a fishing tournament group back there. I mean, we got, we got all kinds of stuff back there. I know that we got a couple of young men that's got some, got an exciting fundraising thing that they're doing. You know, you need to jump in with some of the, those couple of guys, uh, uh, older teenagers that are launching out this. There's a lot of stuff back there, and you need to find some place that you fit, okay, because you need to be connected, all right? And I won't I try not to say too much more about that because I'll, I'm going to say a little bit about that at the end of the message. Also, let me, let me just go ahead and say this. I'll make sure I say this. It's two weeks from today. We're going to have a water baptism. If you've never been baptized in water, you need to be baptized in water if you are a child of God because it is an outward statement, a testimony, a public testimony of what God has done in your life. And we're going to do it as a public testimony. We're going to do it out in the parking lot. We've got we're starting to pull everything together. We're going to have an outdoor stage. We're going to do our whole service out there. We're going to do one service that day out in the parking lot, and we're going to be parking in the grass everywhere we can. I know, I know people are already worried. We've got leaders and our workers that are saying, how in the world are we going to park everybody? I think it's going to be an awesome thing. I mean, you know, I think it's an awesome thing. We had to bring in chairs, even set them up front because we got that going on. we got two people sitting back up against the wall back there. Thank you, sisters Rizzo, back there just sitting up against the wall. I mean, you know, I, I think it's cool that you got seating and parking problems at a church. Amen. Amen? I mean, that's a cool thing to have. So we're glad of that. But I will tell you this also, is we got room at 930. Uh, we, you know, so we encourage any of you who want to try it out. 930 is a good time. Okay, let's, uh, I want to get into our message this morning. And we're starting a brand new series on FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions. All right, and I got one big one I want to answer for you. And then I've got uh, a few little other ones in there, and I've got a big one I want to ask you at the end of this message today, okay? Let's have a word of prayer, and I get to the message. Father, I love you. Thank you, God, for, God, your peace, Lord, that is on me today, God, because I know you're still in charge. And no matter what my enemy does to me, no matter what he does to my family, no matter what he does to my country, I know you're still on the throne, God, and I know you can take care of us. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you help us, Lord, in this time. God, with questions and concerns, Lord, and fears that we have around Around us today because of because of these kinds of things. God, uh, just a, a great time for us to come and look at some of the questions that we have about life, God, and, and just see what your answers are. I pray, God, that you would just lead us in this time, challenge us, God, and uh, let somebody, Lord, turn to you in a different way today, a deeper way today, or maybe for the first time turn to you for help in their life. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Okay, frequently asked questions. You got them, right? Didn't ask you to email them. It actually, uh, uh, JC, our youth pastor, is doing this on Wednesday night as well. Not the same sermons. We're handling different questions, but he's actually allowed the uh, teens to uh, text or, or uh, email or tweet their questions to him. And, and uh, we're not going to do that because I've already got the questions that I want to answer for you. But uh, the big one here this morning is this. And you know what? And this is not just for today, but this is the big question probably for all time. I mean, the biggest 
question for all of human history is what is the meaning of life? You've seen the little cartoons, you know, little comic strips, you know, where you, you climb to the top of the mountain to find the wise man so you can ask him, what is the meaning of life, right? And all those cute, you know, and, you know, I've seen all the funny ones too, you know, one guy climbed the top and he's, you know, the wise man's sitting there and he's got, you know, got his high, high you know, he's got his, uh, got his uh, speaker, or got his headphones on, you know, he's got his big screen TV and all this kind of stuff, you know, what is the meaning of life? You know what, even the wise man sometimes doesn't know what the meaning of life is. And so let's start kind of right there, is that he, sometimes even the wise man doesn't know what the meaning of life is. Because, you know, we, we really get concerned with all the questions that we have. I mean, it seems like every day brings new questions. Does that sound like anybody's life besides mine? Every day brings new questions and new concerns, new things to work with, new, new problems to work out, new solutions that are needed and all of that. And, and so we have questions. And, and, and sometimes, it, it, you know, we can get a, a, a little bogged down in all the questions and we ask all these questions. Well, let, me, let me first of all just tell you this. is Life's not about answering questions, okay? Let me tell you, though, that life is a journey, all right? Life is a journey. It's, it's not something that you're going to eventually just figure out what is the meaning of life, and you're going to have the answer for everybody. It's not something that you can, you can hang on to. It's not something that you can, you know, tie up in a nice little box and kind of hand out to everybody, or that you're going to have a little, uh, little quick solution or little quick answers when somebody asks you that question. And so let's go to the wise man. You remember the wisest man that ever lived probably was Solomon. As far as we know, I mean, there was nobody ever wiser. Man, man he, he had a wisdom from God that has been unparalleled. And we don't know, we don't have any writings of anyone else in history that can come close to the wisdom that Solomon had. Uh, and, and Solomon seemed almost tormented by this same question of what is the meaning of life. I mean, if you read Proverbs and Ecclesiastes especially, you'll see it over and over. I'd love to read about three or four chapters to you right now and just show you that the wisest man on the face of the earth, he didn't know what the meaning of life was. He struggled with it. As I said, he's almost tormented with this. And so don't, don't get so bogged down in trying to figure out what the meaning of life is because life is a journey and questions are part of that journey. I mean, you know, okay, here's what we do, don't we? I mean, we get bothered by the questions. We get bothered by the struggles. I mean, it's the, it's the questions that really bother us. I mean, we get worried because we've got questions in our life. We get worried about the problems. We get worried about the doubts. We get worried about the fears and all those things. Hey, they're a part of life. I don't, I don't have a lot of time to share all of this, to lay all this out before you, but you know what? I don't go to, you know, my son and his wife, they're at Disney World this weekend. You know what? I don't go to an amusement park to get on a roller coaster that doesn't have any dips and any heels and any turns and any loops that give me some G-force. When I go, I want some G-force. I want some Gs, you know. I, I want my stomach to be turned upside. You know what? But we live life like we don't want any questions. We, God didn't create you that way. The reason you like the roller coaster is the same reason that you ought to be enjoying life. Life is a journey. Embrace it. Enjoy it. Uh, look, let's, let's look at, at uh, Ecclesiastes, just a few verses. Uh, Solomon said, I made my works great. I built myself houses. I planted myself vineyards. So he's talking about all the stuff he did. I, I made myself gardens and orchards. I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. He 
says, I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. He said, I acquired male and female servants. I had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and special treasures of kings and of provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the lights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all kind. I mean, if he'd have been alive today, he would have bought you two. I'm not talking about just buying an album. He would have bought you two. You know, he, and so I became great. I excelled before then. Uh, I excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my reward from all my labor. All this stuff that I gathered, this was the reward from all my labor. And then I looked on all the works of my hands had done and all the labor of which I had told. And indeed, all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. And so here's what he comes to. He says, I'm searching for the meaning of life, and I've done all this stuff, and finally, you know what? It's just grasping for wind. I mean, he finally kind of understands it right there, but I don't know that he ever does. Even the wisest man on the face of the earth that ever lived, it's just grasping for wind. You will never grasp the meaning of life with your hands. You will never understand the meaning of life with your, with your own wisdom. You, you will never get it through all the stuff that we amass in our life. That has nothing to do with the meaning of life. And maybe a, you know, you know, Solomon, he, he wrote these beautiful words and, and really po- poetic and, and the Song of Solomon was beautiful. Those way. And there's, there's, a, there's kind of a, a modern day equivalent in a way. I think maybe our, our songwriters, and I, I mentioned you too, and we had the song played. So, you know, you too. Think about them for just a moment. I, I said, you know, Solomon had so much money, he would have bought you too. He, he would have. That's what he would have done. He would have just bought you too and they'd have lived in the palace. He'd have called them whenever he wanted to. You two is, uh, I, look, I looked up, I Googled it to find out, and you know, they, I looked to see where they were in, in, in gross uh, earnings over the past few years, you know, and you know what I found out? I figured, you know, well, they're going to be, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine. They were actually number one of the last two years in gross earnings. I didn't know they were, and here I was planning on using them. I found that out, you know, just this week, that they were number one. They sold over 150 million albums. You know, they had the 360 tour that just, uh, just really, really kind of blew everything out of the water for them. I mean, as far as the numbers and all those. And you know what they still said? You know what? You know what? You two said. Look at this. Look at this song that they wrote. The one that you heard playing just a few moments ago. Here's what. Here's what they said. Uh, even though they had all this, I've climbed highest mountains. I've run through the fields only to be with you. Only to be with you. I've run. I've crawled. I've scaled the city walls. These city walls, only to be with you. They've said all these things they've done, just kind of like Solomon. I've kissed honey lips, felt the healing in her fingertips. It burned like a fire, this burning desire. I spoke with the tongue of angels. I've held the hand of a devil. It was warm in the night. I was cold as a stone. I believe in the kingdom come. Then all the colors will, be, will bleed into one, bleed into one. But yes, I'm still running. You broke the bonds and you loosed the chains, carried the cross of my shame, of my shame. You know I believe it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And you're never going to find it in trying to just answer that question, what is the meaning of life? Because life is a journey. And life, it's an awesome journey. And it's not just a journey, it's a gift. Life is a gift. And we're going to have to deal with something here, okay? If we're going to believe that life is a gift, we're going to have to deal with something here. I got a question for you in just a moment, but we're going to have to deal with something. That life is a gift, and it's not, it's, not just, it's not just this thing that just happened to us. Life is a beautiful, wonderful gift. And, and you know, uh, uh, Brooklyn had her 
third birthday this past week. We've been celebrating for a week and a half. Yesterday we had the big party, you know, and she was opening all those presents and all those things. And you know, that's, that's what life is. Life is like a gift. And you know, uh, Kristen was in the floor with her, you know, and handed her another one. And she'd open it up and handed her another. And that's the way life is. And every single day you need to be opening that gift. You need to be opening and say, wait a minute, life is a gift. And don't get bogged down by all these questions. And don't, don't get defeated by, by the fears. And don't be overwhelmed by all the worries and all the concerns and all the struggles that you're going through. Life is a journey with questions that are a part of the journey. And life is a gift. But if life is a gift, where does it come from? If it's a gift, then it has to have a giver, right? So there's a very important question that we have to answer here. And you've got to answer before I can help you anymore with the frequently asked questions and especially this one about the meaning of life, is what do you believe about God? Does God really exist? you got to answer that question for me. And so, so here's a question I've got for you is, do you believe or, you know, in, in naturalism or do you believe in creationism? Because if, you believe in, if you're a naturalist, you believe in naturalism, you believe in evolution, you believe in random, you believe in chance, you believe in accident. And, you know, I'd go on and say, you believe in mistake. That that's how you're here. And i got to say this about evolution. I don't have a lot of time, but i got to say this real quickly about evolution. Evolution is not, you know, the fact, you know, if they prove that, that men are, you know, living 2.7 years longer today than they lived 30 years ago, then that's not evolution. Evolution is not that, uh, you know, men are three inches taller than they were 500 years ago. Evolution is not that uh, the average man's toes are longer than they were, you know, a thousand years ago. That's not evolution. Evolution is, is a crossing over from one species into another. It is when one species becomes another species. And I don't have time to preach all this to you, but if you'll ask me this afternoon, I'll give you, I'll lay it all out for you, and I'll show you why that has never happened Science has never, has never shown us that it has happened because it has never happened. And the reason it has never happened is because in Genesis chapter 1, verses 21 through 25, God said, this will never happen. Uh, I'm going to leave that with you. Write it down. Genesis 1, 20, 21 through 25. Read it for yourself later, okay? I want you to search that because that's the one that says evolution can never happen. If it wasn't for that, if it wasn't for God making that law that evolution can't happen, then it would be happening. But it's not happening. Okay, and if you're, but if you're a creationist, here's what you believe. You believe that everything begins with God. That there was a big plan, and it was a divine plan. It was God's plan. And that you're not here by accident, you're here on purpose. Okay, now let me tell you this. It cannot be part this and part that. It is one or the other. Either there was this big, huge accident, and we're just all here by accident, or there was a divine plan. You can't have a part divine plan and part accident. It doesn't work that way. Either, either, either it's all this way or it's all nothing. And if you're, a cre- if you're a naturalist, if you believe in just the naturalism, you just believe in random chance, I don't have much I can help you with today because there is no meaning for li- of life for you. There's no purpose. There's no reason for you to be here. There's no reason for you to even be walking on the earth today. And you know what? It doesn't even matter. You know, all of our rules and all of our laws that we've they don't matter. There's no morality. There's no ethics. There's no reason for us to do right by one another, for us to do anything. If everything is just a random chance, an accident, we're just a mistake that just happened in the cosmos, then there's no reason for anything. But if God is who God says He is and His Word is true, then He created you. And he had a plan for you. 
And I told, told the parents just a little while ago that I got a scripture, a ref, reference to scripture, and it's in the book of Psalms. Let's look at it right here. David writes, for you, God, you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, God, they all were written the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. They were already written. My days were already written in fashion, even though none of them had happened yet. My day. You know what he's saying? He's saying, God, you planned all this. You planned what I looked like. You planned uh, how I was going to be designed and, and developed. You planned everything about me. And you even designed the days that I would walk on the face of this earth. Now, it's either that or it's nothing. You can't have both. And you can't have a little bit of it. And if you're, if you're a naturalist today, I don't have any answers for you. But if you're willing to look beyond what you've always believed about, well, I believe maybe a little of this, a little of this, and just understand and recognize and accept the fact that maybe God is exactly who God says he is. If you're willing to look at that, then I do have some answers for you. And I have some meaning for you. And I have some purpose for you. Because here it is. Is that yes, without God, there is no meaning to life. Without God, there is no meaning to life. I mean, if we, if we throw the Bible away and everything that he is, if, if we weren't planning, so, and I know some of you say, well, I wasn't planned. My mom and dad said I was a big surprise. Even if you were a mistake by your parents, you were not a mistake in the eyes of God. God planned you even though they may have made a mistake. Even though you were a surprise to them, they didn't know you were coming. They didn't plan. God planned your life. He formed you in your mother's womb, and He has written every single day of your life. And that's where your meaning is found. So yeah, you know, I'm not saying that there is no meaning to life, that it's just a journey. No, I'm saying that it is a journey. And the thing to grasp isn't the meaning of life. Just to understand the meaning of life is all wrapped up in God. And the thing to grasp is Him. But I got another question for you. Okay, so if we're not ever going to grasp this, what is the full meaning? What is the most important thing in life? I'm glad you asked because a lawyer asked Jesus that question one day too. And Jesus told him the most important thing in life. It's in the book of Matthew. It says, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Okay, that's the important one. And the second is like it. It's like it. Note that word like. The second one, you know what the word like means? It's kind of like same, right? It's just like it, or it's the same. Sometimes they're not identical. It doesn't mean they're identical, but they're the same. They're like, they're, they're, they're like one another. And so what he is saying is the very most important thing in life is to love God, and the second most important thing is just like it. It's just as important, and that is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It is just as important for you to love your neighbor and to love others. Just, it's important for you to love others just like it's important for you to love God. It's important for you. And so, and so, so let, let me give you this. This is the last of the four up there at the top. I know I've bounced around a little bit there. I hope you followed me. But the fourth one is this. His life is meant to be shared. Life is meant to be shared. You know what happens when you share life? You know what happens when you get married? You know, when, uh, if you get married and you're starting to share life and you, know, you have an, un, uh, an unexpected bill show up in the mailbox, guess what? You don't have to pay it along. You got somebody to share the burden with. 
You know, and then if, if one day, you know, you hear a knock at the door and you go to the door and the door opens and it's Publishers Clearinghouse standing there and my wife is praying for that one. And the door opens. If you're married, guess what? You got somebody right there to share the joy with. Have you ever had something awesome and amazing happen to you and you looked around for somebody to share it with and nobody was there? Man, I've had that happen to me. What a lonely feeling. Have the most exciting thing happen to you that's happened to you in years and nobody being there. That's the, that's the beauty of a shared life is when you share life, you have somebody to help you carry the burdens and you somebody, have somebody to help you rejoice in the times of rejoicing. And in your, in your rejoicing that you bring into their life helps them with the burden that they have and it's just a cycle that goes round and round and round. Oh, but some of you, I know some of you say, but I'm not a people person. How many of you, don't raise your hand. How many of you use that excuse? I don't have to talk to anybody because I'm not a people person. You know, we got a lot of things about our lives that aren't right, that aren't the way God wants them to be, and we need to work on every single one of them. And if life is meant to be shared, then that means you need to work at being a people person if that's not who you are. Life is meant to be shared. God intends for you to take what he has given to you and to give it to somebody else and bless somebody else. But too, too often, we Christians, we're not people persons, you know. Too often, it's so easy for us to just drive on by somebody with a problem and just say, well, I hope everything works out for them. To see our neighbor struggling next door and say, hmm, that was bad what happened to them. I hope everything works out. It's so easy for us to do that. You need to work on that. God has called us into, into a family. We use Romans chapter 12 around here a whole lot because it's, it's the thing we talk about, the giftings that God has given to every single one of us. All of us have giftings. All of us have something that we need to be doing for God. In Romans chapter 12, the thing that I learned from that about anything, if I learn anything from Romans chapter 12, what I learn is, is that we're here for one another. The meaning of this life right now, now there's another life that's coming. There's something that's going to happen after death. You know, there are very few people in this world that think when you die, it's just over. You know, you're just, you're just like, a, you know, you're just like that, that mosquito that you squished on your arm yesterday. It's over for you. There are very few people that believe that. We all know something's going to happen after this life. But the meaning of this life right here, right now, Romans chapter 12 shows us. Is we're here for one another. We have been gifted. We've been blessed. We have been, uh, we have been given things that we can share with one another. That is the reason for life. It is meant to be Shared. How many of you know what United Flight 93, what that was? You know United Flight 93? That was the one that probably this lady, the, the voice that we heard on the call to her husband, she was probably on Flight 93 because they already knew about the two running, uh, flying into the, not running in, but being flown into the, the Trade Center buildings. And she said, we're on a flight. It's been hijacked. We're turned around. That was, she was probably on flight 93. And what they realized is they realized, hey, we got to do something about this. They're not going to use us as a weapon. And this plane is a weapon against more people. And the intelligence that's come forth after, since then, we believe that it was, targeted, uh, it was targeting the White House. Probably would, would not have killed as many people as were killed in the, the towers. But it was just a symbol of an attack against our country. Those brave people on, on United Flight 93, they saved 
the White House, which is, I mean, it's a symbol, but it's a symbol. That's what they gave their lives for. You know Flight 93, but do you know about United Flight 564? Happened the very next Saturday. If you remember, if you were out of town and you were trying to fly back home, you remember you didn't get here. There were no flights for a while. It's been said that Saturday was the first normal day after 9-11. That Saturday on Flight 564, as the pilot was addressing the, uh, uh, the, the people in the cabin, the, the flyers there, as he was addressing them, he said, I want to thank you brave folks for coming out today. We don't have any new instructions from the federal government, so from now on, we're on our own. Sounds kind of scary, doesn't it? He kind of explained to them, and they listened to him in silence. I don't know if you've ever flown, but most of the time you don't even listen to what the pilot was saying, but everybody's, everybody's listening today. And he explained to them, you know, here's, here's the problem is, Every government regulation and every bit of training and every, every procedure that they have about hijacked airplanes or about somebody with a gun that's wanting to get out of the country somewhere and says, here, fly me to so-and-so, or somebody that opens their jacket and they've got a bomb strapped to them and says, I'm going to blow this plane up unless you release all of my uh, compatriots in such and such country out of the prison that they're in. But there are no procedures about somebody who's fashioned a knife out of a piece of plastic so they can get it through security. And they use it to actually, use, to actually take over the plane and use the plane as a weapon against other people. And so that's what he was explaining here when he went on. I want to read to you the words that he said. He said, and everybody's listening intently, sometimes a potential hijacker will announce he has a bomb. There are no bombs on this aircraft. If someone were to get up and make that claim, don't believe them. If someone were to stand up, brandish something such as a plastic knife and say, this is a hijacking or words to that effect, here's what you should do. Every one of you should stand up and immediately throw things at that person. Pillows, books, magazines, eyeglasses, shoes, anything that will throw him off balance and distract his attention. If he has a confederate or two, do the same with him. Most important, get a blanket over him. Wrestle him to the floor. Keep him there. We'll land the plane at the nearest airport and the authorities will take it from there. Remember, there will be one of him and maybe a few confederates but there are 200 of you. You can overwhelm them. The Declaration of Independence says, we the people, and that's just what it is when we're up in the air. We the people versus would-be terrorists. I don't think we're going to have any such problem today or tomorrow for a while, but sometime down the road it's going to happen again, and I want you to know what to do. Now, since we're a family for the next few hours, I'll ask you to turn to the person next to you, introduce yourself, tell them a little about yourself, and ask them to do the same. And they said, there was applause that went through the cabin. Extended applause as people appreciated what he was saying. You know what he's saying? He was saying the enemy wants to, wants to divide you, make each one of you sitting there in your little seat think that you're, you know, you're all by yourself. And he wants you to think that you're powerless. But he said, there's only going to be maybe three or four of them. There's 200 of you. And we're a family in this thing. And if we're going to get this plane to where, if we're going to get where we need to go with this, then we're going to have to see ourselves as a family. And if such a problem like this arises, then we've got to stand up and do something about it. Is anybody seeing the spiritual connection here that I'm about to make where I'm headed with this? We're a family, guys. We're not individually sitting in our own little seats. This is not solo. We're not solo flying out here. And everybody's got their own plane. There's only one way to heaven. That is through the blood of Jesus Christ and his name. And we're all on this one flight together. 
We're all on this one flight together and to get there. And he made it that way because he wants us to all be together. And here's what our enemy wants to do. Our enemy wants to divide us. He wants you to sit right where you are and don't even speak to the person sitting next to you. He wants you to sit where you are, walk out the door, don't have any fellowship. He doesn't want you to be involved in a small group. He doesn't want you to know that you together with your brother and sister are much more powerful than he. He's got the drop on you. He's already stood up and and been bold. And so we cower in fear, sitting in our little airplane seats, buckled down and worried about something going to happen. And we're in fear because he's been bold and he's been allowed and, and he's got a weapon. And we forget about all the weapons we've got. You know what we need to do? Man, I didn't even think about this until I was praying at the close of the first service. I thought, you know what we need to be doing? The next time that begins to happen, and I'm not talking about on a plane somewhere with some terrorists. I'm talking about the terrorism that is happening in your marriage and in your home and with your kids and with your finances. You know what? You, you need to get up. Unbuckle yourself. Get loose. Find somebody to connect with. Turn to somebody like he said and introduce yourself and say, hey, I got a problem. And pick up every single weapon that you've got, pillows and blankets and everything, books and whatever, and throw it at him and do and wrestle him to the ground and hang on for dear life until the help from heaven shows up and handles it the rest of the way. Amen. Amen. Go ahead, give the Lord a hand of praise. But some of you still flying solo. Some of you still not on the plane with everybody else. You got your own little way of doing it, and you're going to do it your way. <laughs> maybe, maybe we're talking about sin, temptation, and those kinds. Maybe we're not. Maybe we're just talking about obedience and disobedience. Maybe we're talking about finances. Maybe we're talking about how you treat your spouse. Maybe we're talking about how you're raising your kids. Maybe we're talking about how you do business out there in the world. Maybe we're talking about the way you treat people when somebody comes and buys something from you and you sign a contract. But for whatever reason... Most of us have some place in our life that we have yet to say, okay, I'm going to get on the plane. I'm going to do this God's way. And we're still doing something about our life our way. And here's my big question to you. How's that working out for you? Your marriage, your finances, your relationship, with your kids or with your parents, your business, your school, your fears, your peace at night. How's it working out for you? I got a solution for you. Get on the plane. Stop doing it your way. Quit trying so hard and just do it God's way. And let him make it much easier on you. Stand with me, if you will. How big is it? It doesn't matter how big it is. Whatever little part of your life you're still doing your way, that's what's messing you up. For some of you may have never done anything God's way. So, man, you're really struggling. But you know what I found? I found after quite a few years following God, serving him, being a Christian, being an ordained bishop. I don't use that term a whole lot. Sounds really stuffy, doesn't it? But being an ordained bishop, you know what I found? I found that I can take back this much from God for just a couple of days 
and I can find myself in more of a mess than I was in before I came to know him in the first place. So what, whatever it is, so if you've, if you've never known God, if you've never had a relationship with him, and you got all this stuff, let me tell you, it doesn't matter. Or if you're the one that you've been a Christian for a long time and just got this one other little thing, or maybe four or five little bitty things, those are the things that keep you guessing, keep you asking a question, what is the meaning of all this? That keep you perplexed, that keep you defeated, that keep you confused. It's not working, is it? Your way is not working. So let's choose today to do it God's way. Let's choose today to make it about Him because that's the only true meaning in life. If you'll join me in a closing prayer to make that declaration starting today, and for some of you Christians have been around a long time, starting today, I'm going to do it God's way, 100%. If you'll join me in that prayer, come to the front. Come on, and let's close in the front. Let's close together right here. Everybody that will, please come. Please come on. Turn to the person next to you and say, my way ain't working. Then turn back to him and say, then try God's way. Let's try God's way. Bow with me. Close your eyes. Jamie's going to lead us in a final song. Don't start singing until you finish praying.